Welcome to the good life, everybody. We are so glad that you've joined us. When I say the word good life, what do you think? What do you have as far as images come up in your mind? When you hear someone say, yeah, they're living the good life. That's the good life right there. Yep. I bet it's different for everybody, but I bet it's things kind of like maybe um, beaches. You're thinking, yeah, that's a good life. Maybe a little drink with an umbrella in it. Yeah, oh yeah, that's a good life. Maybe when you hear the word good life, you're just thinking different versions of kicking back and relaxing, letting someone else do for you what you would just rather not have to do for yourself. Maybe you think, oh, the good life, having extra money, extra time, and extra energy by which to spend the money and enjoy the extra time. Yeah, you are. Kicking back, enjoying the good life. Now, hear me very clear. There is absolutely nothing wrong with anything I just described. Nothing wrong with it whatsoever. At the same time, it's important for you to know that when Jesus came to earth, he did a lot of different things. In fact, if we were to begin to talk about all the different things that Jesus did when he came to earth, we would be here a very, very long time. In fact, you could say we're still discovering and it may take all eternity for us to fully unpack what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus did many things, but you need to know that one of the things that Jesus did when he came to earth is he redefined how the good life is to be defined and lived. He changed the rules in a very unexpected way how the good life was to be understood described, defined, much less lived out. And this has huge implications for us. I have my definition of the good life. You have your definition of the good life. And this has huge implications for us that Jesus came to change and challenge those assumptions and those definitions. And here, here's why the implications are huge. Because we follow Jesus. Now, you may not follow Jesus. You may not be a follower of Jesus. You may be here because you lost a bet or you just caught up in the traffic and you just went with the car in front of you was coming and here you are. We are so glad you're here. We welcome you. We hope you have a wonderful time and actually come back. We fully expect, if, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, for you to have a meaningful experience in this series when you come back and join us next time. But here's what you need to know. If you are a follower of Jesus, then the implications for everything we're getting ready to talk about could not be bigger because you follow Jesus. Now, if you don't follow Jesus, you can do with this what you want. But if you follow Jesus, you and I need to perk up, listen up, pay attention to what Jesus said, to how Jesus relayed this information about what the good life is all about. Towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life, and we talk about Paul a lot, and one of the reasons we talk about Paul a lot is because he wrote the majority of the New Testament. We talk about Paul probably more than anybody else other than Jesus himself because of that. Towards the end of Paul's life, he was having a conversation with some of his close friends in the city of Ephesus. And he was getting ready to leave Ephesus and go to Rome and in Rome, Paul would end up being martyred 
for the sake of the good news and the mission of Jesus Christ. So Paul kind of knew that was coming. So this conversation that he had with his friends in Ephesus was big. And he said something to them. Now he's towards the end of his life and he's reflecting and he's kind of looking back. And he said, I want you guys to remember something. I want you to remember something that I've learned. In fact, I want you to remember something that Jesus said. And it has everything to do with the good life. Paul said, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And maybe you've heard this before or versions of it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give. Don't you remember this? I mean, I, I'm, I'm nearing the end of my life, and here's what I've learned, that, that it's important to remember that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So somehow, somehow your life is better off when you're in a posture of giving than when you're in a posture of receiving. Somehow life is better and better off if you have this attitude. It's the opposite, isn't it, of what we think the good life is about. Right? I just described it, right? I'm kicking back. Somebody's waiting on me hand and foot. Somebody's doing for me what I'm tired of doing for myself and I really don't want to do anymore. So bring it to me. Wait on me. Help me. Yeah, that's a good life. I ain't got to do nothing. It's all done for me. And while there's necessarily nothing wrong with that, it's certainly not how Jesus described what the good life is all about. What we're going to define, what we're going to find in this series. Let me just give you the high steps real quick. We're going to discover that the good life is not about having, but it's about giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We will see that that is true. That the good life is not about getting. It's certainly not about taking. It's about sharing and investing and serving a bigger picture, a bigger purpose. Other people, especially God himself. We're going to discover that the good life is not about tangible things, but it's about meaningful things. And here's something you already know. You already know that, right? You already know that the most important things in life, we talk about this, cannot be bought with money. Cannot, it's not stuff. You already know this. And that's what the good life is all about. So you're already tracking a little bit with me on this. And you find yourself going, yep, that's right. Yep, that's true. It's not about stuff. It's about people. It's not about tangible things. It's about meaningful things. What we will discover in this series is that the good life is not about entitlement, but rather a life of sacrifice. This is a challenge for us because we drift into entitlement. In fact, there is more entitlement pent up in my life and more entitlement pent up in your life, if we're honest, than all of us are comfortable admitting. And here's one of the reasons why, okay? We're Americans, we're Americans. And I'm thankful. I'm, I'm grateful for our country. And I'm, and I'm thrilled to be living in this country. I, I can't think of another one I would rather live in. But you think about what we're taught as Americans from a young kid, right? a little one, right? You have rights. You have rights. You have rights. You have rights. Make sure, make sure you stand for your rights. Make sure you get what's coming to you because you have rights. Interesting. And so while those things are good things... If you're not careful, it creates a mentality and an attitude of entitlement because then you begin to grow up. Don't we see this all the time? And maybe you find yourself thinking, then everybody's concerned about, hey, that's my right. I have a right to this and I have a right to that and I have a right to this. And we talk about our rights and what we deserve and what we are owed by other people, by the government. And if you're not careful where this goes, even by God himself. 
It'll sneak up on you. And in this series, we're going to learn how the good life fights against entitlement and pushes us to a life, rather, of sacrifice. And one more. We're going to discover in this series that the good life is not a thing of obligation, but of opportunity. It's not about, I have to do this. I have to do this. I, I feel pressure to do this. No, it, it's when you're really living the good life, it's about an opportunity. I get to do this. And this is hard. This is hard. And the reason it's hard is because all of us struggle with something called a scarcity mentality. And it happens because we're human beings, a scarcity mentality. A scarcity mentality is something that goes like this. I'm not sure if there's going to be enough. I'm not sure if there's going to be enough of this to go around and this to go around. And, oh, no, you know, hold on. I don't know if there's going to be enough for me and enough for them and enough for us. Boy, you know, times are hard. And so and that's a scarcity mentality. And where that leads is, so with the scarcity mentality, since there's not going to be enough, what is the absolute least I have to do <laughs> to get the absolute most out of my, life, of my life? What's the least I can do? And what's the box I need to check? And then you check that box. We know what scarcity mentality leads to. If you're a parent, right? If you're a grandparent. Matter of fact, if you're in middle school, what's the least amount I have to clean my room? And it considered to be clean by mom and I get to go outside, <laughs> right? What's the least? What the, it's a box checking mentality is a scarcity mentality. Well, I'm not sure if there's going to be enough. So what's the least minimum amount I need to do? Right? We call it, we have a word for it. We call it, well, I'm just being frugal. No, it's stinginess, really. No, it's, it's actually greed, and, it, and it's more up in our lives than we might want to admit. So what we're going to discover is that the good life is a life of generosity. Because Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's how Jesus described life when it is operating good. You understand your life is better off. This is really about a life of generosity. And as a church, here's what you need to know. You're already doing so well at this. And I am so proud of you. And I am so honored to be a part of this family of faith. You need to know this, and maybe you don't know this, okay? But you need to know this. The word on the street about you guys is that you're a very generous church. Yeah, when I go out and about and, and I'm incognito, I just listen to what people say, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I heard their pastor's pretty great, too. I try to get, no, I don't do that. I don't do that. I try to just blend in and, and just, yeah. Anyway. But I hear, I hear what people say about you and, and they talk about how generous you are. And, and listen, this is not about patting you or me or us or any of us on the back. This is just to say, we're heading in the right direction here. We're heading in the right direction. But we have so much more room to grow, as we will see. It's about not just a moment of generosity. This is about a way of life. So how about you? Do you feel like you're a generous person? Do you feel like you're person characterized by generosity? I mean, I bet you would think so, especially in comparison to your brother, because he's stingy, right? In comparison to your neighbor, in comparison to that person you work with, in comparison to that person you're in a small group with, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm at least, I mean, I ain't perfect and all, but I'm at least more generous than they are. Oh, I'm so glad you're here, because we're going to learn a lot together. And here's the foundation of everything we're going to talk about in this series in the next few weeks is built on this reality right here. God is generous. Jesus illustrates to us that God is generous and we follow Jesus. There it is right there in a nutshell. That, that's the whole thing. This whole series is us learning how to unpack this right here. 
is that God is generous and Jesus came to illustrate to us just how generous God is in flesh and bone and blood and to show us in real life form and we follow Jesus. It's who God is. It's what he does. He can be nothing else other than generous. It's his starting point with us. Did you know that? Did you know that God's starting point with humanity in the world is not, I am so ticked, all those sinners. I am so angry. Y'all get on my nerves asking for stuff. And I, no, I mean, I mean, that's just if I were God and if you were God, maybe, we, maybe that would be kind of like, how, no, it's not. God's starting point is generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? Wasn't God so ticked at the world? No, that God's starting point is one of generosity. It can, you and I can't even imagine a God other than that. Let me, let me show you this. God gives life and breath to everything. That's what Paul said when he was in Greece talking to a group of Stoic philosophers he said, you know that God gives life and breath to everything, to everything, to everything, not just most things, not just some things, but everything. And that's pretty generous, wouldn't you think? Here's another reality. David in the Old Testament, when he was praying a dedication prayer over the temple in his prayer, he said this, it's a fantastic reality that everything we have comes from God, has come from you. He said, God, everything we have, we acknowledge that everything we have comes from you. Everything? I mean, everything? He gives life and breath to everything, which means everyone, and then everything that we have that we call ours is a gift from God. I mean, and that's just a couple of places. Time and time again, all throughout the scriptures, we see this. In fact, you and I can't even conceive in our minds that God would have a scarcity mentality with us. Right? It, it's almost laughable. We have a hard time thinking about it. I mean, what if, what if God had a scarcity mentality with you and there was a quota and a cap on blessings that God could give you? Right? And just say, slow down there. Slow down with your prayers. I can only give you so many, so much. I mean, you're about maxed out. You're about capped out. I mean, come on. I mean, we're like, no, that doesn't even make sense. What if there was a cap or a quota on how many sins God would forgive? It's like, oh, man, you had a bad week. You just burned through three weeks of forgiveness in one week. I mean, you're about to the limit. Now, we think it's funny, right? And that's crazy because we don't even have a concept for what that would be like because it's the opposite of who God is. God is generous. And Jesus came to illustrate to us just how generous God is. If you want to know how generous God is, look at Jesus. Watch Jesus. Listen to Jesus. And Jesus said, here's my personal mission statement. Here's why I came. He summarized it like this. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve others. Well, if Jesus had showed up to be served, would we have blamed him? When you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you speak the world into existence and you show up and say, I'm here to be served, we go, yes, sir, we will serve you. You may not have liked it, but it would make sense, right? And Jesus said, I didn't even do that. I didn't come here for you to serve me. I came, and he's king of kings and lord of lords, right? I came to serve you and to give my life as a ransom, as a payment, as a sacrifice 
for many. That's the ultimate serving. That's the most generous way anybody could serve anybody else. Wouldn't you agree? Can you think of a more generous way of serving other than literally laying your life down, giving your life for someone else? And that's exactly what Jesus did. See, we can't even imagine that Jesus was stingy. That Jesus would be stingy in any way. It doesn't make sense, right? Everything about Jesus is generous. He's illustrating to us a generous God. Do you remember the, um, the, the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus' most popular uh, talked about miracle. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all talk about it. It's a pretty big deal. Five loaves, two fish. He feeds 5,000 men plus the women and children. But let's just go with the 5,000, okay? The feeding of the 5,000. Can you imagine if the story went like this? And there was this five loaves of two fish. Jesus took it and he broke it and he blessed it. And, 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 and 90% of the people there got something to eat. 4,000 people went home with full bellies. Wasn't that great? And we would all be like, hey, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. But we were like, I don't think it reads the same, does it? It's not like, well, they were, most of them got something to eat. They were mostly fed. See, we laugh at that. You're like, that doesn't even make sense. Right? I, mean, how, I mean, you can only make five loaves and two fish stretch so far. But Jesus fed everybody, and there was 12 baskets left over. Everything he did was to illustrate the generosity of God. And so here it comes. We follow that kind of Jesus. So that means... If you are a follower of Jesus, you must be generous. You have to be generous. I have to be generous because he is. And we follow him. Let me say it another way. A stingy Christian is a contradiction in terms. A greedy follower of Jesus doesn't make sense. Because Jesus came to illustrate the generosity of the Father to us. And generosity is not just about a one-time moment of good-heartedness. It's a way of life. It's a way of living, not just a way of giving. It applies to everything in every part of life. At home, at the office, in the neighborhood, and yes, even at church. It's about looking for opportunities to be generous with your time and generous with your energy and yes, even generous with your money. Crazy. Oh, let me, with your money, with my money. And we know how powerful air quotes are. My, ours. Why? Because, because everything belongs, wait, everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Then ultimately it's all his. He's just loaning everything to us. That's how generous God is. Here's my oxygen, y'all breathe it, enjoy. Here's my resources, y'all enjoy. Here's life, I created it, my idea, y'all enjoy. Here's love, y'all enjoy. You just, you just keep going on and on and on and on. It all comes from him. And, and I think one of the greatest contexts that you and I have, that God has given us, by which to live and experience and enjoy the good life. It's not on some sandals, beach resort, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not, that's not where the good life really happens. Right? The good life actually happens right here where we live. And one of the greatest contexts of experiencing it is right where you are right now.
the local church. The local church, the family of faith that, that God designed and created to forward and advance the mission of Jesus. The local church where we make internal, eternal investments. Eternal investments. I, I, I invest into you, you invest in me, we invest into our community in ways that will outlive us, that are bigger than us, that are greater than us. We serve one another. I serve you. You serve me. You serve them. They serve you. And we serve our community. We serve. And in that way, we live outside of our own needs and we get involved in meeting the needs of others. And yes, we even give. We give financially to the work of Jesus on planet Earth through the way that he ordained and he determined to resource his kingdom work on earth. That is the local church. And here's where sometimes it gets a little weird. When you talk about generosity, especially when you talk about financial generosity and giving and all that kind of stuff in church, people always get weird. And I've never really understood that because, because to be quite honest, we talk about money everywhere, right? We talk about money everywhere and all the time. You talk about it at home. Boy, don't you talk about it at home. I can't believe you spent that on that and we ain't doing that. We're not giving this Christmas coming. He ain't getting nothing. And you know, all this kind of, we talk about all, you know, I can't believe how much this and you go to work and you talk about it, right? And I can't believe, and this is great. And, and you invest and you invest, right? It's everywhere. But some, for some reason we come to church and it's like, shh, don't say the word Republican, Democrat, or bunny. <laughs> we talk about it everywhere else. In fact, to me, I, th I think if, if we're going to talk about it anyway, we should talk about it at church. Do you know that Jesus taught on the subject of money more than any other topic other than the kingdom of God, right? More, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. Now, is money more important than heaven and hell? No. But boy, it sure dominates our thoughts more than heaven and hell. So Jesus said, okay, I'll go with that. And we talked about it. And so Jesus talked about it more than almost any other thing. So it's normal and natural. And here's why. Here's why Jesus, here in the scriptures, and, here, and we'll see that in this series, where, where Jesus gave us a principle in the local church called the principle of the tithe to help us get into a rhythm of financial generosity. You just make it a rhythm. Just make it a part of your life, right? And people are like, oh no, that's just, you're just wanting us to give money in the church. No, I'm not. I'm wanting you to learn how to live the good life. I'm wanting you to learn to live a life of generosity because you follow Jesus. And here's proof. Give your money somewhere else. There's a lot of great things to support out there. The summit's not the only place where you could, you know, be generous financially to the work of God. The work of God is bigger than the Summit Church. We're just one local family of faith. You think it's about, I'm just trying to get you to give. No, give it anywhere you feel like God would have you give it. But I will say this, if this is your home church, it would just make sense. Just makes sense, right? That you invest eternally into what God is doing here because this is your family of faith generosity in your time and energy and in your money. And maybe you go, well, I am generous. I'm generous. I tip. I hold the door open for old ladies. Like I've already done that this morning because the Lord, I was coming in the front door and there was an older lady behind me and I held the door and I was like, ching, check that box. I'm good. Right. And, and you know, I, oh yeah, I'm generous, especially more than my brother, than my sister, than my neighbor. When you're comparing your generosity to anyone else trying to determine how generous you are, well, that's really pointless. 
unless you're going to look to Jesus and compare to him. Um, and he gave everything. So there's really no comparison. Right? Let me break this down another way. We follow Jesus. When you're taking stock of your generosity in life and living the good life, we follow Jesus. You don't follow me, so comparing yourself to me is pointless. You don't follow them, so comparing yourself to them is pointless. You compare yourself to the one you're following. You follow Jesus, so we only look to Jesus to set the pace and set the standard for how we live a generous life with our time and energy and, yes, even our money. And Jesus gave everything. Ultimately, Jesus gave his life. So there ain't no box checking. There's no quota. There's no cap. There's no limit. We're always growing, always growing in our generosity and in turn experience the good life. So my challenge to you in this series, as we go through the series, right, is, is to allow God to stretch you. Allow God to stretch you to grow beyond your current accepted level of generosity in your time and energy and money. Allow God to stretch you to grow beyond your current accepted level. All of us have a current accepted level of generosity, don't we? You're as generous as you are right now because it works for you. Because you figured out a way to make it work. And you may say, I'm generous. Well, you, yes, you may be more generous than you were five years ago. You may be more generous in your life than you were, you know, five months ago. But you are where you are because it works for you. And you found a level of comfort. My challenge to you is to keep looking to Jesus who gave everything. And to say, I'm still not as generous as Jesus and I follow him. What's the next level for me, God? I, I, I challenge you. I dare you even to have that posture and that attitude. God, stretch me in my time and energy and money to become as generous and more generous as I follow Jesus. Because what's the point of life anyway? What's the point of this life anyway? Think, think with me. We know this. You know the answer to this. You know that the point of life is not having and getting and getting more stuff because you've never once seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You don't get to take it with you. Right? Here's what's going to happen. You're going to die and all of your prized possessions are going to be gone through by your children and your grandchildren and most of it, are you sitting down? Okay. Most of it's going to Goodwill. Oh, oh, not my children. Okay, oh yeah. In fact, it'll get to a point to where they'll look at all your stuff and go, we got a house full of stuff. We may need to pay somebody just to come get it, right? I see it all the time, yeah. And I know, I know that feels disrespectful. It's not disrespectful. It's just kind of like, here's the deal. It's just, we know that's not about stuff. We know. And yet, we allow ourselves to get sucked in to a life of a, with a scarcity mentality where, where we get so distracted we find ourselves stingy, greedy, when the point of life we know is not about getting and having. The point of life we know is about sharing and investing into bigger things, things that outlive us, things that are beyond us, into other people, into the work of God. And that actually is what the good life is all about. A life of generosity. Let me, let me show you a couple things as we wrap up. In the wisdom of Solomon, we learn that a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others, they're the ones that are refreshed. 
That's the good life right there. Prospering is the good life. Being refreshed is a part of the good life. Who gets that? Those who are generous. Those who focus on others. Giving, investing, sharing, serving, and outward focus. Not the people that are inward focused. Me, mine, me, mine, my rights, what I deserve, what is owed me, what I've worked hard for, and I better get. No, 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 no. Those people don't end up living the good life. The good life is lived by people who have an others-focused, outside-of-themselves mentality. Paul lays this principle on us, and you know this, and it's a farming principle, and you don't have to be a farmer. Most of you are not farmers, and yet you know this is true. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. If you're stingy with the seed, you're only going to get so much of a crop. But if you're generous when you are sowing, the more seed you throw out, right, the more you get back. Some of you are overseeding your yard. Uh, you've been doing that in the last couple of months, you know, overseeding. I've never seen anybody out there with a seed going, grass seed, there, there. Now, what do you do? You make a mess overseeding. It's all over the place, and now there's grass in your flower beds. Yeah, there is. You'll find out in April. And I mean, it's just, just everywhere, right? And, and because you know that's the key to getting a thick stand of grass. You have to over. So we know this. So what does this look like? What is, why did, why did, God, why did, was this shared? Is it teaching us how to farm? No. Teaching us how to live. Right? What if we live that way? Just, man, we just see it everywhere. I mean, it's, it's going all over the place. And it's going to, I mean, and, and guess what? When you live that way, ain't no telling where it's going to pop up. Now, it's not so great when you're, you know, you don't want, when you're sowing grass, that's where the analogy breaks down. But when, when you're, you know, the good things in life, you can see where it pops up. Here, let, me, let me end it this way. Do you guys remember this? A few weeks ago, we did this thing called the Big Serve where we canceled church and we were in the community just serving. Wasn't that awesome? Do you remember that? Those of you that were part of that? It's incredible. I don't, I don't get, remember getting any reports of anybody complaining about that weekend going, oh, that sucks. I don't like this. I can't believe this. Serving. When's this going to be over? No. Some of you are like, hey, we need to do this more often. We should cancel. I would much rather be serving than listening to your bald-headed mug every week. Let's, <laughs> let's do this more often. This is incredible. Didn't it feel great to serve? Those of you who served with us during the big serve, didn't that feel awesome? You know what? It's supposed to feel awesome. By God's design, it feels awesome. It's a great thing that it felt great because it's part of the good life. It's others focused. Generous with your time. Generous with your energy. Generous with money. And you're serving and you're investing into the lives of others. It's supposed to feel great. And for some of you who have figured out that serving is not ever meant to be just a one-time-a-year thing. Anyhow, you volunteer on a regular basis here at the summit. Do you know what I hear over and over and over again? It's how meaningful it is, how, how empowering it is, and what a blessing it is, and how you get more out of it. In fact, the people in our church who have the greatest experience in our church family are people who don't just show up, sit in a seat, and leave, even though we're grateful for all of you today who have come to sit in a seat and leave. We're thankful for all of you, but I'm just telling you, those around you that are getting the most out of 
This whole church family experience are those who find ways to volunteer and serve others on a regular basis. I didn't make that up. Do you know why that feels great? Those of you who serve and invest, it's supposed to feel great. It's part of the good life. Consider this. Those of you who pray for others, which is a way of serving, it's not the only way. Those of you who are like, well, I, you know, I'll just pray. No, it's never just pray. Right? But do you know why it feels so great? And, and how it's feeling for you when you take time to go to your Heavenly Father on behalf of those around you? Do you know why that's such a meaningful experience? Because it's part of the good life. It's, it's just part of it. It's not the whole thing, but it's a, it's a huge part of it. It's yeah, it's supposed to feel good. It's supposed to feel empowering. It's supposed to be fulfilling. When you go to your heavenly father on behalf of other people and tell someone, I am praying for you. I have prayed for you. I've spent time thinking about your situation and I'm talking to our heavenly father on your behalf. It's meant to feel good. It's the good life. A couple more. When you send that encouragement text to that friend, didn't it feel great? Doesn't it feel great when they text you back and say, thank you, this is exactly what I needed. You have no idea how much this meant to me. Doesn't that feel great? Why don't we have a problem feeling great about this? Because it's meant to feel great. When you write that card, when you send that email, when you tell someone something nice or have that encouraging conversation with them and they're like, thank you so much. I needed that. Man, that just changed my... And doesn't that feel good to walk... And that's not why we do it, but it feels great and there's nothing wrong with it feeling great. Why? Because it's part... The good life. One more. When you give financially, you know, and you have to be careful with this kind of stuff because even Jesus talked about, you know, you don't give so that you get, but he went out of his way to say, when you give, I will bless your stinking socks off. Basically, that's just what he said. In my version, but it's in there. You know why it feels great to give? To, to, to give financially? Or, you know, I'll just tell you myself. When I give, when my wife and I give, it's great to know we're part of something bigger and it does feel awesome and that's okay. It was meant to feel that way. It was meant to feel that way. You should feel that way because it's part of the good life. And for those of you who don't experience these things, man, you are missing out because Jesus was right and he said it best. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This, my friends, is the good life that we have been called to, that we have been welcomed into a life following Jesus who illustrates the Father, a life of generosity in every way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being a generous God in ways that we can't even begin to unpack. Jesus, thank you for illustrating to us with your life and ultimately your death just how generous God is. So Father, help us because we follow Jesus to not compare ourselves to each other but to simply follow Jesus in a life of generosity with our time, with our energy, with our money. And when we find ourselves picking and choosing, well, yes, here, but not there. And, and all that, Lord, we just, we're missing the whole point. May we just live generously. 
this throw seed of generosity everywhere. And watch how it all comes up and all the great things you do with it and even in us as a result. Father, we have been called and welcomed into the good life. My prayer is that my friends here will experience it together like never before. May we all grow past our current accepted comfort level of generosity with our time and energy and even with our money, knowing that it all comes from you and it's all for you anyway. So we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.